I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. It's time to set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating some kind of heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go. Let any tension in your body go. And let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in, and exhale out loud with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Hello, hello, everyone! Welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. And as usual, a very warm welcome to our first-time listeners. All right. Before I get started, I would like to give a shout out to you who have emailed me last week,、uh, giving me the feedback that you have enjoyed decoding your past traumas, and some of you have indeed committed to doing the exercises that I have provided for you. So I wish to thank you for that. Today I am going to start another epic. Topic and that is about our attachment styles because we all have our own attachment system within us. All right, starting from today's episode, including in the upcoming weeks, 
we are going to discuss how attachment drives what we think we deserve. Oh, by the way, last year in July, I have published an episode on "Do you know your attachment style?" So, if you have not listened to that episode or you have forgotten about it. I urge you to go back and have a listen because that definitely will help you in understanding today's topic. First up, let me explain. Attachment is the way we connect with other people, but then it kind of spills out into how we connect to others, to ourselves, and to our environment in general. So we all have attachment systems, like I said earlier. We are biologically hardwired for connection, and our attachment system grew out of our survival, basically because we lived in groups and tribes way back in the day. That is how we survived, and so our attachment system grew out of this need to survive together. And that's where you get these different attachment styles. That when things go wrong, the attachment style can go haywire if it goes wrong enough in humans. So, what happens when our attachment style goes left instead of right? Well, everybody under stress or extraneous circumstances is capable of acting in ways that are not exactly great for our relationships, right? And so, what's informing that? What can cause it? And then, how do we recognize it and get back to center? And my dear audience, the answer is. There is something called earned secure attachment that we can learn to cultivate, and what that means is that just like our brains, our attachment system is malleable, which is good news. That means it's not fixed; it can be changed. In other words, it can go from insecure attachment to secure attachment. However, this also means we can go from securely attached to insecurely attached. So it's a really great insight to know that we can be in a relationship. Things are going great, then things go south, but we continue to stay in that relationship, and then it changes our attachment system. For instance, we can be in a securely attached relationship, and then somebody acts in some sort of outside stressor,、uh, like it could be a medical illness, it could be infidelity, it could be all kinds of things, right? And then all of a sudden, you don't recognize the person you have become. And you are behaving in ways that aren't in line with what you feel like you are, or how you want to behave in relationships. Let's say if a parent is ill and the other has to work two to three jobs to make ends meet, then a securely attached child can go into insecure attachment because this misattunement is more rampant. 
And then when that outside stressor gets rectified in some way, that child can go back to secure attachment within six months. Now it seems that children tend to be faster and adults slower in changing their attachment style. Well, it all depends on how long you had the stressor for. It's understandable, right? You are insecure because it's a totally insecure situation, and that's why when clients come to me and they have just gotten out of a toxic relationship, of course their nervous system is shot. Of course their attachment system is all out of whack, and they might go into the next relationship with an insecure attachment style, which is why doing the work, the internal work. Once you get out of a toxic relationship, is so important. It gives you the best chances to going into a secure one later. Now, mind you, there's a lot of adult attachment studies out there in the U.S. I'm not so sure about Australia. Different studies have shown about more than half of the adult population in the states has a secure attachment style. So now let me share with you what secure attachment style is going to look like. So they are not scared of intimacy. They know what they are worth, and they also know what their needs are. Meaning. If they are not getting their needs met in a relationship, most likely they are not going to stay in that relationship because they know there's an abundancy. That means they know this is not going to be the only person that they are ever going to meet that's going to love them. They also believe there's someone else that's a better match for them out there. So that's a secure kind of belief system as well. Securely attached people, they don't just know their needs and wants; they also believe that they will be heard, that the world will respond to their needs. Because their caretakers did exactly that when they were younger, most of the time, securely attached people—they are not scared of intimacy, not scared of going deep with someone, and they have staying power. That means when things go wrong, they are not going to just get up and run away. They are really going to look at like, well, okay, what went wrong? How do we fix this or resolve this issue and make it better? They also ask, "Can this be fixed?" Looking at their resources as well as their partner's resources, they also have a healthy belief. They know that no one is going to be perfect for them. They are looking for good enough, just like the good enough mother. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean you compromise your values, and therefore, knowing your own internal boundaries is so important. So, my audience, that's translated into a secure adult, which is 
I'm looking for someone who just don't fit perfectly. But hey, who fits perfectly, right? I'm not perfect, but they fit well for me. So I'm sure you could imagine securely attached people. They get taken out real fast. Oh yeah. So I connect with this person. They are great, and I'm attracted to them. There is not a lot of intensity, mind you. But I'm not looking for intensity. Let's see how this goes. And they just leave. Well, there you have it. That's the fifty percent of the population that is securely attached. And we are now left with the other fifty percent of the population that is not securely attached. So let me say this: some research have found that a little bit more than half is securely attached, and they leave the dating pool pretty fast, right? And then we have twenty percent of the population that is—I'm just going to、uh, call it—anxiously attached. Uh, that's like the easiest way to look at these things,、uh, because there's anxious, ambivalent, and other attachment styles, which I have covered in episode ninety-eight back in July twenty twenty-two that I mentioned earlier. So I urge you to go back to the archive and have a listen, so you have a better understanding of the attachment style theory and the other attachment styles. All right, let's circle back to the anxiously attached. So this is someone who is terrified of abandonment. The setup is our parents sometimes got it right. But unfortunately, most of the time they didn't get it right. They were most of the time misattuned to our emotional and/or physical needs, and that can happen in a variety of ways that I am not able to cover them all here. So let's just say they were misattuned most of the time. Anxiously attached people have fear of abandonment. They come from a belief of lack, so when we find someone, it's like, okay, this is my only chance, and I have to make this work. They tend to have really poor boundaries. They tend to be hyper vigilant, meaning hyper aware of loss. So when we feel in disconnection, we are hyper aware of it. And there are studies that show how anxiously attached people, their brain lights up a lot more than securely attached people around loss and abandonment. That makes sense, right? They also have trouble regulating their emotions. In other words, there's a real nervous system issue attached to anxiously attached people. Which means that when we get upset, when our attachment system is triggered, which is very sensitive, our attachment system that is, because we always worry、uh, whether others are going to meet our needs, or thinking, oh, aren't they going to meet my needs?、Uh, they don't always meet my needs. So is this going to be the time? So we are hypersensitive. And when our attachment system has been triggered, it's hard for us to regulate our nervous system ourselves. 
Therefore, we are always looking to co-regulate and usually to co-regulate with the wrong person, with the wrong nervous system. So it's like this toxic cycle of always going to a lemon tree expecting to get an orange. And then when you get the wrong fruit, it's like, oh my gosh, but I actually need the other fruit. So you go again to the tree and you just keep getting the wrong fruit. So that's anxiously attached. Then 25% of the population is avoidantly attached. And avoidantly attached individuals, uh, they mistake self-reliance for independence. Yes, I want you to press the pause button and think about this one. So the avoidantly attached, they are hyper-focusing on being independent. Sometimes I refer that as dysfunctional independence because they don't ask for help even when they needed it. And when people offer them help, they will decline. They are also hyper-focused on being self-sufficient and self-reliant. And that is because their parents basically never got it right. In other words, they were in an environment where there was almost always misattunement. Let's say a highly anxious mother who cannot read a baby or toddler or a child's emotional or physical cues, or a father for that matter. So it can look like smothering or it can look like total neglect. Now, smothering or being always like, hey, what's wrong? Uh, what's going on here? What's the matter with you? What's happening? Have you done that yet? So it goes on and on and on. Now, my dear audience, that is not attunement. That is anxiety. And so it's no surprise when a lot of avoidantly attached individuals, they will be saying like, hey, my mom was always there, though. She was always right on top of me. That doesn't equal to attunement. If she's on top of you or your dad is on top of you for the wrong reasons, that's misattunement as well. So intimacy can feel smothering for an avoidantly attached person, and it does. And therefore, you find avoidantly attached individuals are fearful of intimacy. Actually, if you peel off the layers of the onion, you'll find that avoidance greatest fear is also abandonment. Because they think, what if I let you in? Like, what if I tell you my needs? Then I'm pretty sure you are going to abandon me because you find me needy. And neediness for an avoidant is a weakness. So what do I do instead? I'm not just going to not let you know what my needs are. Actually, I'm not even going to let myself know what my needs are. So think about that, my audience. How numb you have to make yourself as a child or whatever age to ignore your own needs and your own body. 
So avoidance tend to be very disconnected from their feelings, uh, very disconnected from their bodies, and they are always looking for well protest behaviors. And I'll share more on that later. So for now, avoidance basically means、uh, they believe intimacy is smothering, so they want to get away from it. And therefore, they also love from an arm's length. So when things get too good, they pull away. So unlike the avoidance, anxiously attached individuals, when things are good, they just can't get close enough. So it's the opposite. Well, there you have it, my audience. Our time is coming to an end. And we shall continue to explore further in the next episode. So thank you for listening, and I appreciate you. So until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O. dot com. <music>